Well, good morning and welcome to this Wednesday Chapel on Ash Wednesday. As we begin the Lenten journey from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, 40 days. If you count the Sundays, it ends up being 46, 47 days. And many of you are from different Christian traditions, and maybe you didn't observe or practice the discipline of Lent. I'd encourage you to consider it and think about it um, as we talk a little bit about it today. And Ash Wednesday, the start of this Lenten journey, is about penitence. We confront our mortality and we confront our sinfulness. We acknowledge and embrace our mortality, and some churches practice the imposition of ashes. And many of you may be returning to your parishes or your churches today to have a time where you do receive ashes. During Ash Wednesday and in the Lenten season, we confess and turn away from our sinfulness through confession and pardon. These two actions, embracing our mortality and acknowledging and turning from our sin, are the heart of Ash Wednesday services that will be taking place around the world. Often the services are concluded with Holy Communion. We won't be doing that in chapel today, but in the Angel Chapel at 5 o'clock today, we will be having communion, just a brief service, reading of scriptures and blessing of the elements. And if you want to take part in that, that's today at 5 o'clock in Angel Chapel. And we incorporate disciplines. Uh, some people give things up. Maybe a lot of you have already planned to give something up during Lent. Maybe it's, I've seen things giving up maybe a certain meal of the day or chocolate or coffee or some of you have given up technology and Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we pray for you because I know it's going to be a very difficult challenge. Hopefully you can survive that. Some people take things on instead of give things up. Uh, Take things on maybe an act of service that they do weekly. Maybe uh, an act of gathering together for prayer with friends or with loved ones or committing a, a devoted time to prayer and reading of scriptures. Maybe you're taking on more in your life during this this Lenten season. And whatever you do do, I encourage you to may it be a time when you're giving up the time on Facebook or Twitter or when you're giving up that meal. That it be a time and remind you when you're feeling the urge to get on Facebook or when you're feeling the urge because you feel the hunger pains. Allow that to be a reminder to you of why you're giving it up to turn back to God. Uh, giving it up so you can focus on God and your relationship with God can grow deeper and stronger. So there are many ways that people celebrate it, those that who observe it. Uh, again, whether giving something up or taking something on. So in today's services, we'll be reading uh, different texts for this Ash Wednesday service. You'll be hearing, uh, we'll be watching a video of the psalm text for the day, Psalm 51. And throughout chapels to the end of the year, we'll show one psalm video uh, a week, uh, which will be the psalm for the week of Lent. And you'll see that is trying to remind her to point us back, to remind us that we are on this journey this Lenten journey together. We also want to help you. The Office of Spiritual Development is providing a free devotional. You can pick it up here in the front. It's called Ashes to Fire, just a daily devotional. Maybe that's something you want to take on, a daily devotional time. We'd encourage you to do that, and we have resources available for you to do so. So as we gather together in this Lenten journey, it'll actually conclude right around uh, just, sh- just shortly before graduation time. Uh, what better way to conclude uh, the Lenten journey besides the resurrection of Christ, of course, but also graduating from college. So, of course, as we gather together and journey together this Lenten journey, we have much to be thankful for. Let us pray. May we turn back to you, Lord, and glorify you with all that we do and all that we say. May we be fully surrendered in our praying and our giving and our fasting, not for our glory, Lord, but simply for your glory. Lead us back, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand? Dr. Kevin Smith is going to lead us in worship through song this morning. The songs will be on the screen, but the page numbers in the hymn books will also be on screen if you'd like to follow along in your hymn book.
was thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. Riches I heed not, man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, thy treasure. of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys all bright and sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O Joel 2, 1 through 2, and 12 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God?
I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 2 Corinthians 5.20 and 6-10 through 10. We implore you on Christ's behalf. We reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now in the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, And in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Were you there when they crucified? Oh 
Matthew 6, 1 to 6, and 16 to 20. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We have sung songs and hymns of praise. And now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds that we might be forever changed from what your word has for us this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in the previous messages, when I speak, we've been looking at the passages, the life of Christ, beginning at at birth and going through his life that will take us to the end of the semester. And and, uh, now we're here at the Sermon on the Mount, this extended passage in Matthew And it really comes now, especially to the text today, it really comes to the heart of how now we are supposed to live. It shows us how we are supposed to live in the day-to-day being citizens and followers of God and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You may remember Dr. Benefield, who spoke last week and did a beautiful job, talked about how we live in the already and the not yet. That God has already come through Jesus Christ, and though the kingdom has not yet come to his completion, we live in this in-between time, where we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, But yet the final completion of that kingdom has not yet come. But in this in-between time, we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And if we are to live as the citizens of the kingdom of God in this in-between time, it will look a little strange to people. In many ways, it will look as if we are outcasts and bizarre and how we are living. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we see a lot of this teaching, certainly throughout the Gospels and all of Scripture. We can learn about it, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and what it means to live in this in-between time. But in this text today, especially, he's given us these lessons of how we're supposed to live that just seem so contradictory to the way others live or the way others long to live. This kingdom living is, is lived out in our day-to-day journey. And I'm coming to the better understanding that we're most formed as Christians. We're most uh, living into the kingdom of God, not in the high moments, though those high moments are important. Those mountaintop experiences where God was just present. You just felt it. You just felt the spirit. It was just this amazing time in the presence of God. Those moments are of God and we shouldn't dismiss them. But those are not the everyday living out of our faith. Those are not the things that most transform us. We looked at the Beatitudes and we talked about how there is this ascending and descending movement to the the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And on and on we see this movement of of high-top moments to valleys. But whether it's on the mountaintop or in the valley, we know that God is always with us because Christ has come. And Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. But it is this everyday living, this this living out of our faith in the small, everyday moments that most shape and most form us. We get excited in church services or maybe camp meetings, but how are you living in the everyday aspect, in the everyday acts of worship? When I hear people talk about churches in somewhat a critical nature, whether, oh, that church is too emotional or, or that church is dead or the way that they worship is not theologically correct or on and on. And sometimes those are good conversations. But my question would be is, well, how are the people living every day of the week? Because they can certainly worship in a way that is exuberant and joyful and full of feeling and emotion and, and, and not live it. They can worship that way on Sunday, but not live it on Monday. 
And the same can be true. They can be very trim and uh, very proper in the order of service and everything be uh, kind of refined and set to 60 minutes and out at noon and, and head to lunch and all of that. But I'm more concerned is, are you living it every day? Because I think regardless of the styles of worship, the question is, are we living as the church should live in this in-between time? And so that's where we are most formed in the everyday. And in this season of Lent, this, this Lenten journey calls us to turn back to kingdom living if we have turned away from it. If there, are sin, if there is sin in our life that is hindering us living into the kingdom of God where, where the light of God and the love of God can be shown through our life, if, if there is that sin, Ash Wednesday especially calls us to turn back to God and repent. Repent of your sin. We don't like to talk about sin too much. The word sin. Gardner Taylor, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He's now in his 90s. He pastored in Brooklyn for well over 50 years. A historic civil rights leader. Just really one of the greatest preachers I've ever had the opportunity to mostly read. And seen some of his um, sermons on YouTube. And a message he wrote not too long ago. He talks about this sin that we're often uncomfortable to talk about. Dr. Taylor writes... There is a disease in our humanity, and the correct name for it is sin. Dress it up if you wish. Call it some polite name if this will make you feel better. Say, say that what is wrong with us is quote-unquote cultural lag, if you choose. Say that what is wrong with us is quote-unquote ignorance. That when we know what is right, we will do what is right. Jeremiah would tell us that this is trifling with a terrible and fatal disease, sin which destroys the nervous, system, the nervous system of conscience and wrecks the power of right, right thinking. Sad it is that a polite hypocrisy has censored the word sin out of our decent speech, so it has almost disappeared from our preaching and has dropped out of our religious vocabulary. No wonder Dr. Carl Menninger, the psychiatrist, wrote the book entitled Whatever Became of Sin. What other word can describe the sickness which brings us to rebellion against God and our best selves? to estrangement, to unfriendly distance from our source of being, to an unfriendly distance from God, our source of living. A time to, call, a time to turn back to God and, and recognize our sin and name it for what it is, that we're living in a way that is sinful and we're doing things that are sinful and just recognize it and turning back to God. And we have sung it and we have heard it in the scriptures that God is a gracious God. A gracious God, T.R. read it, return to me, God declares. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Don't let sin destroy your life. Earlier this week, I took a a group of guys. We went out to basically a homeless shelter to look at some of the work that they're doing there and, and, and just wanted to introduce some students to it in case they want to take part in some way or help. They're in the need of volunteers and and there's a homeless shelter there, and then there's a, a recovery program in the building next door, and there's just several programs available. And uh, 400 people um, homeless are in there, between 400 and 600 a day. They serve 2,000 meals a day, an incredible, an incredible place. And as we were walking out the door, we saw a lot of these little orange caps that were on the ground. And as uh, one of the young men pointed out that I was with, it's a sign that that's what they put on top of a needle, so you know there are heroin users here, even at this place, and, and not, not 15 yards, not 15 yards from where we were standing, there was a recovery program that's free, you could just walk in and, and check in, and they would, they would help you through the recovery process, sin destroys and kills, that even when there is help just a few feet away, sin is so powerful that we don't even reach out for it, or seek to help them of what others may be able to give us. But I don't only think of those individuals that were using those needles. I have to look at my own sin in that situation. You say, well, what is your sin in that situation? I wonder if I've contributed to a community or a society or a neighborhood that has caused someone to turn to drugs. I wonder if there are neighborhoods or if there are school districts that maybe could have had a little more help in helping educate young people. I wonder if there's more the church could have done to help families raise children. I'm wondering if the church could have done more to help single moms. So though I recognize as I look at those needle caps on the ground and I, and I understand and I see the sin and brokenness in individuals around me, it's not I'm just looking at individuals. I'm looking at all of us as a community. Oh, Lord, forgive us that someone even has to turn to this. We all must repent. 
and turn back to God and say, God, how do you want to use us? How do you want to use us so the education gap is gone? How do you want to use us so that we can help those single mothers? How do you want to use us so we can help those who are homeless? How do you want to use us so we can help those that have addictions? Yes, the the addicts that day are are hurting themselves, and it's a disease, and they're they're killing themselves, and and it is sin. That is what it is. But what has led them to that, and do we have some responsibility in that? Lord, forgive us if we should have done more, and show us how we can help. A few years ago, a student came to talk to me about their life journey and a direction they were heading in in life. And as the student was talking, they went on to explain how the further I went down this road, something just didn't feel right. It just it felt scary. And, and not that they were necessarily even doing anything wrong necessarily or sinful, but just the direction and, and the way that they were going and what they were believing and what they were thinking was just going further and further away from God. And I said, well, I don't, I don't have all the answers for what you're feeling and what you're going through, but here's what I do know. There are some directions that we go in life where the peace of God cannot follow us. There are some decisions we make and some roads we go down that the peace of God cannot follow. That does not mean that God is not always near you and you can just reach out. He's always just right outside the door. So I want to encourage you, like I encouraged that student just a couple years ago, always follow the peace. Always follow the peace of God. And though you may not always know what steps to take or what direction to go, let that be your prayer. Lord, help me to follow the peace of God. Let that be your guide. Yes, this time of turning back to God. And once we turn back, we begin living into this kingdom. We begin living in a way that glorifies God and all that we do or say. And so then we come to this text where Jesus is talking about in our giving and in our praying and in fasting. These historical acts, not only in the Christian tradition, but especially in the Jewish tradition of giving, praying, and fasting. And you've seen it over and over again. I hope you noticed. Don't be like the hypocrites in all three examples. Don't be like the hypocrites that like to stand on the street corners in the synagogues, letting people know and be impressed with their prayers or their giving or their fasting. Do you know the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor? So don't be an actor on a stage, as, uh, as it's said in the version of the message, Eugene Peterson's The Message. Don't be an actor on the stage and you're giving and you're praying and fasting. Do it out of a desire simply to glorify God because God asks that of you. And this becomes difficult in our giving sometimes because sometimes our, our giving is public. Uh, sometimes our name will be associated with a gift, perhaps. I know the Honduran team is doing the Honduran souls, and you'll see the, the baskets around campus, and they're going to take flip-flops and sandals to Honduras, and they have about 30. They're hoping to get 100, so we have a few days. So if you can donate, I'd ask that you do that. Now, don't, don't burden yourself with too much guilt to think, all right, I need to do this somehow in secret. So I need to maybe throw the flip-flops across the room and hopefully they make it in the basket while no one's looking. Or maybe I'll go out in the middle of the night and just dump it in. The, don't, don't burden yourself too much with this. It really comes down to the heart of the giver. Are you giving for your own glory or are you giving to the glory of God so that God can take a pair of flip-flops that may only cost you a few dollars and be given to a child in need? And in our prayers, maybe some of you have seen it. Maybe some of you have been guilty of it. Maybe I've been guilty of it. Praying publicly, wanting to make sure I say the right words that are powerful, that people will just remember and they'll remember that I said this powerful prayer. Maybe I'll get my prayer voice on and pray with the power of God in such a way that I'll run out of breath. Sometimes we need to pray publicly. But what is the desire when those moments come upon us? Is it for glory for us to be remembered in the prayers so others will think it's so powerful? Or is it to point people to God? I need to warn you, we're going to do something incredibly dangerous in chapel on Friday. We do have chapel on Friday. I know you think spring break starts at 2 o'clock this afternoon. It does not. (laughs) Spring break starts at the end of classes on Friday. So we do have chapel on Friday. And we're going to do something. If I asked other chaplains, they'd say, Corey, you're crazy. Don't do that. You can't do that at a college chapel. Do not, Corey, don't, don't do that. But you'll see in this 
test, in the uh, chapel calendar, it says student testimony and prayer, prayer requests, or student testimonies. And I was thinking, I'll get four to six students. I'll ask other students to try to get a cross-section of students that might come up and give testimony. But instead, on Friday, we're just going to open it up to whoever wants to share. Whoever wants to give testimony to in front of this community of all that God has done for you. Whoever wants to ask this community for prayer. It'll be a time for you to share, for you to give praise to God, for you to confess, perhaps, or for you to ask for prayer. Like I said, it's incredibly dangerous. And if it doesn't go well, I want to thank you for allowing me to be your chaplain these last six years. (laughs) It's been a good journey. (laughs) Even in our fasting, even in our fasting, it's not to be done in front of others to, to let others look at us and say how impressed they are that we fast a day or a week and whatever that fasting might be and this again is challenging because there are times where i think you need to let people know you're fasting one because you might be having a meal at their home but often our giving and our praying and our fasting in some ways is a discipleship moment for others who aren't practicing those so I don't want you to walk out saying you must never give publicly or you must never pray publicly. You must never let anyone know you're fasting. There will be times when you need to do that because you will be teaching others. But what is your spirit and what is your heart in doing it? Is it to bring glory to yourself or is it to bring glory to God? Again, this everyday living, these are the days that shape and form us. The most extended period of fasting I had gone through is when we were pastoring the church. And there are different reasons why you can fast. And we have books and resources on that. We'll even do a study on that if you wish. But for me, it came during a time where I really just felt like I was wrestling with God. The, the ministry and the church wasn't going well and things weren't happening. And I was angry with God. And all I could feel like was this was a wrestling time with God. And for several days, several days, just a complete fast from food. And that's where I was in the journey. That was what that fasting meant for me at that time. And so even today as I preach this message, I wrestle with, well, do I share my fasting practices now? But please know I believe that my heart is in the right place as I look for my, to my wife and she'll tell me if I'm wrong. But I believe my heart is in the right place when I say to let you know that every Sunday from Sunday lunch to Monday lunch I fast for a 24-hour period. And that time of fasting when I'm supposed to be having a meal, I'll be in prayer for these chapel services. I'll be in prayer for you and for this community, the ENC community. I just feel that's where the Lord has called me to prepare for the week and to pray for this community as the week begins. And I believe that is of God. But there have been times in my life, especially after the extended period of fasting, I lost 20 pounds, and that's not why I fasted. But I tell you, a couple years later when I gained weight and I was looking at the mirror, I'm like, man, I need to lose about 10 pounds. Maybe I should fast. (laughs) It's probably not the spirit that God was looking for. And in many ways, that is what Jesus is talking about. It's not for your glory or for people to notice you. It's about not living for earthly rewards, whether in our giving or praying or in our fasting. And Lent reminds us to live into this, to confess when we have lived for ourselves, to confess our sin, to confess our sins that may have harmed others or harming others, and to live in this everyday living of giving, everyday living of praying and fasting. Yes, our motives are tricky, and I'm constantly, as I confess, even this week, wrestling back and forth. Lord, if I share that, why am I sharing that? Am I doing it to teach, or am I doing it to say, hey, I fast every week? Why am I? I understand that it's tricky, but I think that's part of the journey. That's part of the prayer time, the wrestling with God, and evaluating our motives. I like what William Barclay says when he writes, the one thing such people, talking about people who give out of the sense of duty or give out of the sense of wanting recognition, the one thing about such people is that they're always giving, but they're never giving of themselves. And therefore, their giving is incomplete. They may always be giving, but they're never giving of themselves, and so their giving is incomplete. So here's what I want to challenge you with today, to make your giving complete. To make your giving complete, fully surrendered, fully surrendered. Turn back to God, confess your sins, turn back to God, and then live a life that is fully surrendered to God. And you live it out in the everyday, whether people are watching or not. You live it out through your prayers and through your fasting and your giving. But you also live it out in the classroom and in the dorms, fully surrendered, giving your life completely to God. 
Perhaps during this season of Lent, you will put into practice some disciplines to help you do just that. To help, you rem- to re- help remind you to do just that. Make your giving complete. We do this not for our own recognition or glory. We do it simply because of our love for God and our love for others. I liked what Dr. Benefield said on Friday. You can't stop those Christians from loving people. You can't stop those Christians from loving people. And when we simply live into the kingdom of God in everything that we do and everything that we say, and when you become bold enough to say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I'm talking about a complete surrender, everything. When you become bold enough to say, yes, Lord, he will take your life and do amazing things with it. A lot of that will be in the everyday, the everyday living where people won't even notice or see how you're living, but you will be making a difference. I saw a video this week of a 70-year-old Army veteran math teacher at an all-boys Catholic school in California. He's not the warm, kind of lovey-dovey 70-year-old veteran math teacher that you probably often imagine exists. But a little challenging as they talk to some of the students, and even as you watch him in this classroom in this video here in a moment, you will see that, yeah, he seems to be a 70-year-old Army veteran math teacher at an all-boys school. But he also seems to be a man that was living into the kingdom of God for 20 years in a very quiet way that no one knew. Go ahead, Kenny. We end this Valentine's Day with a lesson in love. Some high school kids learned it from a teacher they thought knew nothing about it. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. At St. Francis High School in La Cañada, California, there's something to be said about math teacher Jim O'Connor. Substitute back for Y. The question is, what is that something? When you think of him, does the word love come to mind? Obviously not. He's very... uh, (laughs) For whatever reason, none of these kids would tell me what they really think of him. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, none of the boys have come in here and said, oh, God, we have hated him, you know, at times. Nobody said that. I wonder why. He's going to be seeing this, right? Oh, yeah, well, that's why. <laughs> Truth is, Mr. O'Connor can be a bit of a drudge. You don't know what you're doing. But the 70-year-old <laughs> Vietnam vet says he's not here to entertain his students. It drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. E to the KT times E to the C. And for years. Okay. The kids thought that's all there was to him. Until last November, when senior Pat McGoldrick learned they didn't know the half of him. Pat was in charge of a student blood drive and had just come here to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for a meeting. He says it was weird. Whenever he told someone he went to St. Francis High School, they all said, Oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful? What? Like, it is disbelief, really. It's almost like kind of finding this alter ego that he has. Inside the blood donor center, Pat found a plaque listing all the top blood donors at the hospital, including the record holder, Jim O'Connor. Then he learned something even more unbelievable, that whenever Mr. O'Connor isn't torturing kids with calculus, he's on a whole nother tangent, cuddling sick babies. Come on, you can talk to me. Three days a week for the past 20 years, Jim has volunteered here, stepping in when parents can't to hold, feed, and comfort their children. So low. Nurse Erin Schmidt says he's invaluable. They tend to calm for him. They tend to relax with him. They fall asleep with him. I just like them and relate to them somehow. Is that a smile? Jim's never been married. He has no kids of his own. But he has fallen hard for these babies. I don't want to seem alone. You can't do that. You're not a tough guy at all. I know, but don't don't tell my students. (laughs) If you do the calculation... Sometimes you think you know someone, but you don't have the slightest. Sometimes you think you're learning calculus, but the real lesson is life. I've always, like, respected him. Um, but now it's an even a, a different degree, really, is to the point where I, where I try to emulate him. He's the epitome of a man of service. What you doing? Steve Hartman, on the road in Los Angeles. 20 years, three days a week, 
volunteering his time in an area where most would never notice, except the parents that have to work full-time because and their children are sick. And uh, Edie and I, Logan was in the hospital for a, month, for a week when he was a month old, and we had a life situation where she could be there, but she's met a lot of families uh, that couldn't be there because they worked full-time, and their babies just were not held. Um, so he steps in into that void and fills it with the love of God. A good example for us this morning. As I read this morning in my devotional time and preparation time, it said, acts of piety, prayer, giving, fasting, acts of piety are important practices by which God transforms us. Important practices by which God transforms us. And through us, transforms the world. Their value is lost if we use them to call attention to ourselves and make ourselves look holier than thou. I want to encourage you this morning to make your giving complete, fully surrendered, every aspect of your life, giving it back to God as an act of worship in everything that you do, whether that's holding six babies because there's no one there to hold them or whether it's being a teacher or lawyer or minister, whatever field you go into, doing it for the glory of God and not for your glory. Let us pray. And as we close this morning, we'll close in silent prayer. And then I'll give a final benediction. But in this next few moments of silence, if you have not done so already, turn back to God. Confess your sins. Know that he is gracious and loving and will forgive you. And live your life in a way that glorifies him in all things, in all ways, at all times. Now may God, who has forgiven us, now make us strong for these days ahead. May Jesus lead us and we be found faithful to follow. May the Spirit drive us into the wilderness, burning away the chaff of our lives and purifying our hearts for all to see and be blessed. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mercy, master, and fire, be with us and remain with us always. Amen. Will you please stand?